And what that would do is, if you think about how we sing songs, if you're especially at like, especially I mentioned the World Cup as they chant, uh, if you think you're at a concert and you sing the so- songs along with the artists, um, if you think about the Marines and these chants that they do with this cadence, what does that normally do to a person? It shapes who they are, right? It reminds them of their identity. And specifically with the Psalms, they remind us of our identity in who we are, but also in relationship with who we are to God and who God is and His character. And the Psalms are beautiful in that sense that they portray so many different emotions. When we lament at the brokenness of maybe our individual lives, but also of this world, of songs of thanksgiving, of songs of joy, of prayers that we want to lift up in hardship. Reminds us also, as we looked at before in Psalm 19, of the beauty of God's word. I mean, these psalms, as we sing and we meditate on these words, they shape who we are and remind us of who God is. And this morning, we're going to be looking at this psalm and how we respond in danger, in times of trouble. It could be physical, it could be external, but also suffering that we go through. And so let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 91. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are pew Bibles in the chair in front of you. And there we're going to look at page 497. And Jenny Lynn Sweat, our adult ministries director, is going to be reading for us from Psalm 91. And as she does, I I want you to think about how do we respond in times of danger and trouble. So let's, let's follow along as Jenny Lynn reads this for us. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you that though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word stands forever. And it stands forever in the midst of our own struggle, specifically here in the midst of danger and trouble and suffering. Lord, you have a good word to give to us, to encourage us, to shape who we are, to remind us of who you are. 
to even show us maybe some of our imperfections. And Lord, the, the encouragement, the hope that we find in the gospel. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. So wherever we are in this journey of faith, that Lord, we might be able to see you this morning. Reveal yourself to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think the human mind is able to understand the suffering we've experienced. These were the words of a Syrian refugee that was interviewed in this one documentary that I watched called Refuge. It was of this brother who basically had his entire factory burned down because of his belief in our God that we worship. And it followed this man amongst many other men and women and children who made their way over to the island of Greece. And as they did, this one mayor of this city, Lesvos in Greece, said this as he reflected on all these refugees that were coming from Syria under persecution and hardship. And he said, for them, this island represents hope. And we need to be worthy of that hope. Here, once again, they can plan their future. They can build their new life. In the midst of real physical danger, this mayor saw their island, their city, as a place of refuge, of shelter, of safety. There's so many different stories and things that come to mind for us when we think about refuge and shelter and fortress that we've just read in this psalm. One of the maybe funny but also serious stories was in January. If you recall, uh, back in January this year, an emergency alert was blasted throughout Hawaii and sent to people's mobile phones, TVs, just after 8 a.m., and this was what was appearing on people's phones and TVs, all in caps. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Now, obviously, we, looking back, knew that it was a false alarm, that this one who oversaw it accidentally pushed the button to trigger it. But in those 38 minutes, for people who were on the islands of Hawaii were absolutely scared for their lives. And what did they do? They all sought after any kind of shelter and place of refuge, didn't they? I mean, it was funny, some of the videos I saw, I mean, it was funny, but in the moment, they're all freaking out, frantic, scared for their lives. But there was this one viral video of this man who opened up a manhole and was putting all of his children into this manhole and these children going, I don't want to go in there, I don't want to go in there. There were other interviews and stories of how they didn't know what to do waking up to this threat. And so they just woke up and got all of this duct tape and started sealing all their windows, filling up their bathtub with water because they didn't know what else to do. And you saw all these, all these buses loading up all their hotel guests and taking them to who knows where. But in those 38 minutes, in a place of real danger and imminent threat, the longing and desire of every human being alive was to try to find some sort of shelter or refuge, a place of safety. 
Even as students begin to go back to school, I know for students here, you're dreading it. You probably don't want to go. But what's one of the things that we do in the Midwest? And if you're visiting and you're moving from the East Coast or West Coast, one of the things that every school does is run this one drill. What is it? Their tornado drill. That every student knows exactly what to do in case of a tornado, fire, and nowadays any kind of imminent threat with any kind of safety risk that comes into the school building and hospitals and whatever, even in office parkways and and businesses. And it's interesting to me to think that for schools and businesses and hospitals, in, in a place of danger and imminent threat, we always know exactly what to do, don't we? But how about us as God's people? Maybe you're visiting and you're not, a, you're not a person who would say that they follow Jesus. And I'm glad you're here. But even for you, how do we respond in times of danger and suffering? In times of real hardship and calamity? And here, though we don't know who the author is, some say it's Moses, others say it's David, others say we don't know. But here, this author, who pens this song, gives us not only hope, but gives us this idea of how we are to respond in times of danger and suffering. And I want to look at three points, three headers for us this morning as we look at how we are called as followers of Jesus to be able to respond with absolute faith. And this psalmist exhorts us to do the same in three ways that we're going to look at. And the first is we're going to look at this psalmist's testimony, this person's commendation, and lastly, God's promise. So his testimony, his commendation, and lastly, God's promise. As we look at this first point, his testimony, we see that in verses 1 and 2. And what's really interesting, if you've noticed, the pronouns change throughout this passage from being um, I to you, then lastly to I. And that's where I've broken it up to. In the first two verses, we see this psalmist give this great testimony of his faith and trust in God being his refuge, even in times of real danger and threat. And we see this in this metaphor, these four metaphors that he gives to us of God being a refuge, right? The first one is one of shelter. Secondly, one of um, him being a shadow. Third, a refuge. And lastly, a fortress. And what this author is doing is he's trying to really highlight for us That God truly is our shelter, our refuge, our fortress, our shadow in times of danger. And for this author, he absolutely understood it. And for the original audience, they would have gotten it. Why? Because think about the people of God, the Israelites. They knew and understood what it meant to be in the wilderness. To actually be under a shade. Jenny Lynn briefly alluded to all of the people that are out in Belle Reve Golf Course today. In 90 degree weather, hot and humid, with the throngs of people that are there, if you've seen any of the tele- telecasts this weekend, their desire is to be under a shade. 
Why? Because they're going to be out there for about 12 hours. People starting to camp out there at 6 a.m. this morning, wanting to be able to watch Tiger and probably one of the best majors of this year, if not in the history of golf. But they're finding some sort of relief. And for the Israelites, they understood being in the desert, in the wilderness, what shelter, what shadows meant for them. I don't know if you caught wind of this story uh, last month, but there was this woman whose name was Angela Hernandez. And she was driving on Highway 1 in California, otherwise known as Pacific Coast Highway. And as she was making her way down south to meet her family, an animal came up on the highway. She swerved and fell 250 feet down the coast surviving and this was an area that was jagged lots of rocks that many people did not go through and walk and hike across and here she survived for seven days experiencing the brutal climate of the sun of the wind she didn't even step on sand because to her the sand was absolutely sharp because she had lost her her jeans had her entire back of her jeans were gone. She didn't have her shoes. She only had socks, or what remained of her socks were pretty much all holes. And she, she experienced the extreme climate of the wind, of the sun, of the prickly sand for seven long days. And what she said was that, she said at the high spot, and during the day, the sun became unbearable. The back of my jeans were torn apart. My socks were nothing but holes. And she was, she was exposed to this kind of extreme climate. And to be able to say, there's a refuge. There's a shade. There's a, there's a shadow. There's a shelter for you. Would have been like heaven for her. She thought she was going to die. And after they had gotten her, she only then realized that she had suffered a brain hemorrhage, four fractured ribs, a break in her fracture in both collarbones, a collapsed lung, ruptured blood vessels in both eyes. And here's the thing that she said as she got to her most was the intense sunburns on her hands, feet, and face that she didn't even know she had because of just the extreme pain that just began to numb her. And for us, when we go through hardship and danger and suffering, these words, shelter, shadow, fortress, refuge, become such sweet words for us that we all long for. And what he is saying in his testimony is that you can trust in him. Because of who he is. Look at the description not only of what a refuge is. But look at all these words he uses for his God. He says he's the most high. He's the almighty. He's the Lord in all caps. Which is the word Yahweh. And he says not only God but my God. You see he begins to see this picture of this grace of who God is. That he's, it's the image of power and strength majesty and holiness and loftiness, but also of nurture. 
of a personal relationship of who God is, this tenderness of being this sovereign Yahweh, but also my God in times of need. He's holy, he's majestic, powerful, but also kind, tender, and meek. And this is who God is in his nature and in his character. And that's why he says in his testimony, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I can trust. But he doesn't just leave it there at that testimony. He commends us. He exhorts us. From verses 3 through 13, the pronoun changes from I to you. He goes from expressing his personal faith in God to giving us this word of commendation. He encourages us and reminds us of God's protection from many kinds of dangers. And they're all listed and scattered throughout these verses. But let me just give you a few. Look at verse 3. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. What I would categorize that is as sudden and unexpected disasters, right? But then in verse 5, you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrows that fly by day. What I would categorize that as fears and anxieties that we have, but also personal attacks. It's that fear and terror of the night. It's the anxiety that we might experience that we can't go to bed. You know, I've, had, I've, I've shared with my staff and our elders, but lately I've had this weird thing happen to me where in the middle of the night I'll wake up at like four, three or four in the morning and I feel really anxious and a lot of anxiety and stress overcomes me because I'm wondering, is it Sunday morning? <laughs> because... I'm like, I haven't prepared. And then I really have to think, wait, is it Sunday or not? And I've been having these constantly. And there's some reasons why that's the case, and we go into that. But here you get that sense of this fear and anxiety that overcomes us. Personal attacks of these arrows that come. They're in verse 6. Uh, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Right? It's destruction even when I am productive, right? During the middle of the day when we're working, destruction can come even when I am most productive. And then look at verse 12. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. It's like a stub toe is what I would say. But it's attacks that happen when I am not paying attention. It's when we're just minding our own business, but we stub our toe or something happens when we least expect it. These are all of these dangers that happen in our lives. And he commends us to say, you can put your trust in this God in the face of any kind of danger that we experience in our humanity. And how does he remind us of that? Look at verse 4. He gives us these two beautiful images of God's protection. He will cover you with pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. What is pinions? Feathers. We get this beautiful image of God being this bird, of a mother bird or a parent bird that gives refuge and shelter and safety to its chicks. It's this beautiful, nurturing image of this intimate, loving, compassionate, tender God. Even through all of these different kinds of dangers, he will guide us and protect us and give us safety. But it's also, look at the latter part of verse 4. 
His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. It's one of strength. That His faithfulness is that shield and guard to protect us against any kind of danger in our lives. But here's what's so interesting to me. Is that as you read these verses that have been read to us, especially like in verse 9 and 10, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. There's almost this sense of like, because I follow Jesus, I will always be protected. That there will never be danger that comes to me. I won't experience death. I won't experience sickness. I won't lose my job. I won't go through financial difficulty. I won't get into the college I want to. I won't get a, a D or a C or fail a class. I'll get married when I grow up and have lots of kids. Like everything will go well if I follow Christ. And that can be so easily, even if we intellectually know that that's the case, that that's not the case. Pragmatically, in our day-to-day lives, I feel like that's exactly what we believe though, right? Because when we experience trouble, when we experience danger, we go, why God? We begin to think about, we do a self-assessment of like, have I been reading my Bible? Well, I have been. I go to church every single week. I love my wife. I do everything that I'm called to do. So why am I experiencing this difficulty? And here what I would say is that that, could, that thought and belief that we carry in our lives can be very diabolical. And I know that's a strong word, but the reason I use that intentionally is because when you look at verses... 11 and 12, guess who used those words and took that scripture? Satan did. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, Satan comes and begins to test Jesus. And the last one is, why don't you fall, why don't you throw yourself over the cliff? Why? Because he quotes him and uh, quotes scripture from Psalm 91, the only place we see Satan use scripture, and says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Or he actually takes out in all your ways. But he says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan uses those words, why? To bring doubt into Jesus' mind to say, if you actually suffer, that means that your Father in Heaven doesn't love you. He puts that in there to say, your way isn't to go through the path of suffering to the cross. But if you give yourself over and trust what the Scripture says, that no suffering should ever befall you, and that you will always be protected... That is the way to your kingdom so that you can have everything here that you see as far as I can see. And Satan uses those words and the scriptures here that we read to put doubt not only into Jesus' mind, but doubt into our hearts and our minds to say, through suffering, that means God doesn't love you. God doesn't care for you. He doesn't want what's best for you. And that the only way to true success in life is to not experience any kind of trouble. Not experience sickness. Not experience financial hardship. Relational hardship. 
But we see here that for Jesus, yes, the angels did come, but it wasn't to pick him up and not and to avoid the cross. But it was the angels who comforted him in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the angels that gave him the strength to endure hardship and suffering. You see, what we see in scriptures is that it's not so much of our withdrawing from danger and suffering, but rather what it is, it's God who is with us, who endures with us, who laments with us, who gives us the strength to endure and know that He is with us through all of it. And that brings us to the promise that we see here. What is this promise? If you look at this last promise here in verses 14 through 16, it trans- it, the pronouns change from you as a commendation, but back to I. But this I is an oracle from God himself. God is the one who speaks in these last three verses to give us the true promise of what suffering and danger and hardships bring us. And what is it? It's these eight beautiful promises. If you follow along, starting verse 14, he says, I will deliver you. Verse 2, or uh, the second one, I will protect you. I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you. I will honor you. I will satisfy you with long life. I will show you my salvation. You see, it's one of where God is with us in the midst of our suffering. In the midst of job loss. In the midst of a breakup. In the midst of not getting into a school that you've always placed your hopes in. You see, the the beauty is that God is Always with us. And that's why we can place our faith and trust in Him. And how do we do that? Well, He gives us that in three ways. He says, cling to Him, right? Verse 14, hold fast to me in love. And verse 15, when you call to me, And then right before that in verse 14, when you know my name. What is God getting getting at in these verses? He's saying, for those who are in Christ, for those who have placed their faith in Him, who know Him by name, who cling to Him, who call to Him in prayer, for those who are in relationship with Christ, He will be with us in the midst of struggle. He will deliver us. He will be with us in trouble. He will satisfy you with long life. He will protect us. He will rescue us. He will answer us. He will honor us. But it's for those who are in Christ. And that's what makes it so interesting as we walk this journey of faith. Whether you are a follower of Christ or not. We all long for safety. We all long for that kind of shelter and shade. In our lives. And when we go through suffering, that's when we, it's revealed to us where we place our hope. Where we find our refuge and our shelter. Don't we? And it's in the hardships for us who follow Christ that we find the most satisfying place in Christ. 
Because it's at the table, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we are reminded that it was when Christ called on his Father, he didn't answer him. When Christ came to him wanting to cling and to cleave to him, he was not with him. He was forsaken. Why? So that through his own suffering, we might be able to call on him and have him answer us. That when we cling to him, he is with us. And that we might know him intimately as not only our savior, but also our deliverer, our father. See, it was through his suffering, through being in danger, that we find our refuge in him this morning. As I close this morning, one of the songs that we're going to sing during communion is It Is Well by Horatio Spafford. And he was a Presbyterian layman from Chicago. And his business in the legal services was actually thriving. But because of the Chicago fire, he lost everything. But that wasn't the worst thing that happened to him. Because later on, him and his family, his four daughters, his wife, and himself had this opportunity to go to Europe on this trip with D.L. Moody and some others. But because of his work, uh, job, because of his work project, he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead on a ship to England. But it was during this trip to England that, his, that that ship was hit by another English vessel and the ship went down in 12 minutes. His wife survived, but all four daughters died. So Horatio got on a boat quickly and made his way over to meet his wife. And in his lament and in his suffering and in his pain, he asked this, boat, this boatsman to take him back to exactly where the ship sunk, where his four daughters died. And in that moment where he was on the deck of this boat, he penned these words that we're going to sing this morning, it is well. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. This hymn begins with loss, but it ends with eternal hope for the day when faith shall be sight, as we'll sing in the last verse. And for us this morning, no matter the dangers we experience, the hardship, the suffering, my hope is that we can listen to this song and sing with hearts wide open, though it's hard. It is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your words that remind us, God, that we can have hope because you are our fortress. You are our shade. You are our shelter. You are our refuge. And it was clearly, clearly shown through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross that he went through the most danger, the excruciating pain and suffering of being forsaken, of his own father not answering so that we might be able to experience the true intimacy that comes 
through our relationship with you. So Lord, I pray this morning that as we walk through the toil and dangers of whatever we might be going through, Lord, I pray that we would be able to say that you are a refuge and our hope this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To continue our worship this morning, I think it's it's just uh, God's providence for us to be able to confess our faith together with these two questions from the Heidelberg Catechism, questions 27 and 28, that remind us of God being our safety, our shelter, and our refuge. So I'll ask you the question, and you can respond in the bold. You could follow along in the screen or on page 7 of your bulletins. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Amen. Those are good words for us as we come to the table this morning that in God's providence, in God's providence, in his perfect plan and decree of his will, his son suffered and died so that he might be glorified, but not only glorified, that we might have hope and life eternal. That's the ultimate hope that in the midst of our danger, in the midst of calamity, as we look at Jesus, God's own son, that though he went through the most excruciating, the most dangerous thing possible, and the most suffering, that he was raised from the dead and exalted by the right, sitting at the Father's right hand to receive all the glory. That is ours as well for those who have placed their faith in Christ. And that doesn't mitigate the suffering that we go through. Doesn't mitigate the hardship and the dangers we face. I know there's pain and real danger that we experience and go through currently right now. But what's beautiful is that this, as we eat and drink at the table, not only is a reminder that God is with us through that, but that He will deliver us once and for all when He returns, when there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more danger, but only joy contentment, uh, uh, love, and happiness at the table as we eat and drink together. So let that be your grace this morning in the midst of the suffering that we experience. Let me pray that that would be the case as we come to the table this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for Jesus whose body was broken and his blood was shed so that, Lord, we might not experience that destruction and that condemnation and guilt ever again. So Lord, I pray that as we eat and drink this morning, Holy Spirit, use these elements for our strength, for courage, for hope, for joy, for true comfort and love, 
because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Won't you do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.